With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. If you haven't played Paddy Power Fantasy yet, you're missing out. But on the upside, if you haven't played it yet, you qualify for a risk-free first go. Get up to £20 back as cash when you play Paddy Power Fantasy. And because every NFL game day is a season in itself, you don't have to wait to find out if you've won. Paddy Power Fantasy. Hate waiting, love winning. New customer offer. Min £5, max £20 refund. T's and C's apply. Paddy Power Fantasy rules apply. 18 plus, begumbleware.org. Hello and welcome to the Nat Coombe Show presented by Paddy Power Fantasy. Good to have you with us, as we know now, who is going to be in Super Bowl 54, as well as us, of course. We're flying over on Sunday, dropping shows all week long, including three live shows from South Beach. More of that uh, news that will roll out on our social media channels shortly. But Kansas City and San Francisco are going to be there, and we will break down how they got there with none other than the great Iron Mike. Welcome back to ESPN HQ. I'm Mike. Hey, it's nice to be here. Always good. I, you know, sometimes I forget what you look like. Um, really? Well, we do the podcast normally, just audio, and you know, it's like. Uh, anyway, I yeah, imagine small mercy. A- thank, be thankful for small mercy. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I should really. Yeah. You should be working. Over. You need to do five or ten minutes <laughs> at, at a few open mic nights. I would imagine you always, when we do a show together and we're not in the same room, you have a framed photo of me there, surely. So you can just <laughs> Actually, you know me. what? Right above my desk, I have a photo of the Kennedy assassination. Oh, right. Among, which is similar. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Thanks very much. Uh, Mike, there's a lot to get into. Obviously, we'll break down the, the two championship games and quite a lot of news flying around as well. I want to get your perspective on that's happened over the last week. Uh, let's start with a question for you about the NFC Championship game. While you were watching it, uh, did you attempt in uh, the comfort of your own living room more passes than Jimmy Garoppolo did right? <laughs> <laughs> during the game? Just out of curiosity. I, I tell you, I've made more passes in a bar than Jimmy Garoppolo did, and, yeah. and, but and fewer of them were complete. <laughs> so that that would be that would be the better analogy. Right? Um, no, I I just thought you know. They're fine with running. And one of the things I tweeted out as I was watching it, when years ago, um, I used to do Big Ten and, mm-hmm. and Notre Dame games for Eurosport. Yeah, right. And um, Raheem Mostert was playing for Purdue, and we usually got the second or third choice game mm-hmm. um, from the Big Ten network. So we saw Purdue quite a bit, and they were usually overmanned mm-hmm. in those days by, by the Big Ten teams. So teams would, would key on Raheem Mostert because they knew he was ex- an explosive player. And when he came out, his draft reports kind of said special teams guy, mm-hmm. kickoff returns, that kind of stuff. He was quite unfancied, wasn't he? Gadget player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not not fancy. They were kind of like Richie James, sort mm-hmm. of um, the, the kick returner for San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But he, but Mo- Monster was bigger. He's a running back. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, I felt so glad that, that Kyle Shanahan came along and said, this guy can be an explosive runner in right. our offense and gave him an offense that he could shine in, you know, and 
Um, what a great game. You know, if you'd, if you'd told me if I hadn't seen the games and I woke up Monday morning and someone said, oh, 220 yards rushing, quarterback only threw eight passes, right. I said, gee, Tennessee won again. Yeah. <laughs> well, right, there you go. We'll, talk, we'll get into that in a minute. Staying on the 49ers Packers, although it was obviously that, uh, it wasn't as good a game by any stretch of the imagination. A complete performance really defensively from the 49ers. But offensively, with the focus on the run, again, is this something that they can keep on rolling? in the Super Bowl. They're going to have to change the record. That's going to be the interesting thing. And and they don't necessarily have to change the record because when you think about it, their passing game depends on play action mm-hmm. anyway. So if they start with the running game and go to play action, or even if they just start with play action, because one of the things that people don't realize is play action doesn't necessarily need to have an effective running game mm-hmm. to make it work. You just have to have a running game. Right, you know, right. it's like the defense has to react yeah. to the, to the, um, to the, so they may look to do that more, um, thinking, thinking, um, that Kansas City may well be trying to be stacking to stop the run. But as you saw with Steve Spagnolo's game plan against Tennessee, mm. they did stop the run pretty effectively and at the same time didn't give Tennessee a whole lot um, to, to throw to. Uh, in a sense, San Francisco's offense is like kind of like New Orleans play action game. Mm. Um, it's a layered passing game, not a downfield one necessarily. So, you know, it could work really well. It's going to put a lot of pressure on the, the second level basically of, of, um, of the Kansas City defense where, where maybe, you know, theoretically they're more vulnerable, but you know, both these teams, the interesting thing is how they've turned around in the second half of the season. Mm. And in both cases, mostly because of getting injury free mm-hmm. at key positions and in Kansas City's case adding Terrell Suggs who had another you know one big play but that's pretty much why he's there well, well quite the Packers were, were disappointing and they have been in many respects for a lot of the season last week against Seattle they seemed to be uh, much more in rhythm certainly the offense seemed to be much more in rhythm than it had been which I think gave a false sense of security that this would be a closer game than it was. Were you disappointed, obviously disappointed in how the Packers performed, but were you surprised in how they just didn't turn up? Oh, yeah. I mean, how they didn't turn up, for sure. Um, I thought they would score in the first, you know, they always do. I mean, the, the whole the whole season, they've been a good first quarter team. Last week, they were a good first half team, you know, and then they would hang on. Um, and I, I put part of that down to sort of like running running with a, a scripted set of plays mm-hmm. and not being so good in the breakdown because Rodgers doesn't have a second receiver to throw to, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the guys try hard, but they can't get themselves open all the time. He needs time for guys like Kumaro and um, Lazard. They're all big big receivers who can't jump off the line and, and get open quickly. So so that was disappointing. But against Seattle, they were preternaturally good on third down. Yes. And they, they were awful on third down, you know, and, and Spags knew that. I mean, they came at them hard in a passing down, knowing mm-hmm. that Green Bay would want to pass. And you couldn't cut Devontae Adams out of the game, but they cut him out of the first half. And that was the key part, you know. And I look, I'm looking here right in front of me as my, the last two minutes of the first half to me were, were the game. They're up 20 nothing, right? And Gould kicks the field goal, just under two minutes to play. Then Irvin muffs the kickoff. So they start at the two yard line. Rogers comes back, hits Lazard for, for 20. Think, okay, Green Bay's yeah, back in business now. They'll put points on the board. So, so what happens? They go offside. Um, and then he's intercepted. He tries to throw deep. He's intercepted by, um, Emmanuel Mosley, who had a really good game too with Witherspoon benched and he yeah. was taking his place. And then they get the balls first and 10 at the 30. And what do they do with, with, you know, under two minutes 
to go like a minute and 20 at this point. They run the ball. Mm-hmm. They run the ball three times and they get a touchdown. Most, yeah. you know, 30 yards, three runs yeah. at that point of the game. And, and, and then the game's over. 27 yeah. nothing. The game, the game's over. And, uh, um, yeah, all the way back to, I think it was the first Green Bay drive of the game when they decided to punt as opposed to go for it on fourth down. Now, this is something that we've talked about a lot during the season, situational play, when it's the right time to do that. But it felt that the momentum that they had built on that drive and the fact that you knew, much like in the Kansas City-Tennessee game, the Titans knew that the Chiefs were going to put points on them. So it seemed to be an odd decision to be so conservative. It was conservative, but I think what what um, LaFleur was thinking was they had stopped San Francisco mm. on the first first possession. They could stop them again. It, they weren't going to be run over. They weren't looking at San Francisco as being an off, an offensive team that was going to was going to run over and play. So he figured they would play easy, bottle them up. He got that one wrong. Play even. Yeah, he got that one a bit wrong. Um, and uh, you know he didn't get a great punt either. Which you know if you back them up inside the ten. Then you're, you know, you're sitting, you're sitting in a better position. Mm. But uh, I think, I don't think he was feeling it was, it was gamble time at that point. I think he thought he was still in an even game, um, which he never was. And I, and I said something on Friday in, in my column, which was, um, picking the two games. Mm. They both had identical spreads at 7.5. Yeah. I thought I was much, I thought San Francisco Green Bay was probably a more competitive game. I was wrong. But I, I actually thought Tennessee had a better shot of winning. But in, because the difference being in Tennessee's case, they had to follow one scenario. I saw two scenarios for the game and the second scenario is what played out. Mm. But if Kansas City had been able to follow that first scenario, they did build up a lead. If they could have kept that lead for a little bit longer, they were in a position where they could have won that game. But well, they, could, they couldn't stop Patrick Mahomes. Well, they couldn't stop Mahomes, but they also, the, the game plan changed and the offensive line in particular, which was really dominant, certainly for the first quarter, for a lot of the first half, uh, the trenches battle was won clearly by Kansas City in the second half. And whether that forced them to deviate from the run or not, but three carries for seven yards is all Derek Henry had in the second half. So what do you make of the, that change? Of- it's kind of like Baltimore the week before. When do you go away from what got you there? Right. Um, and I think in Tennessee's case, uh, Baltimore certainly, I think, went away too early from the run game. I think in Tennessee's case, they felt they had to start passing the ball because they weren't getting as much running as as they should have and increasingly having to chase the game of course yeah and that that's that's why you need you know they're not built to come from behind mm-hmm. really no team that depends on one big running back usually usually is um and that's what my scenario that's what my second scenario was if the chiefs take a two touchdown lead all of a sudden tennessee's in a lot of trouble mm-hmm. uh, they just can't they can't adjust their game and having chris jones back was huge for kansas city because you know every time he played he was disrupting inside and um frank clark had you know said some stuff about Derrick Henry not that hard exactly yeah. yeah and and I mean and again you know Frank Clark was proven right yeah, as sure. as it were and you know who was great tackling and he doesn't he probably won't get a lot of credit but Daniel Sorensen mm. he made two open field tackles in the first half that saved them big big yardage one of them was on Henry uh just like he did on that fake punt the week before right you know he he was a sure tackler and mm. that's why he's he's playing Thornhill's out obviously so he's playing he's not the greatest guy in pass coverage as we saw when he fell over um, mm. on <laughs> on one downfield move but uh, he is a sure tackler and and I think he deserves some you know attention for that uh, the Titans defense deserves some attention for the lack of tackling on the the Mahomes touchdown Ham, <laughs> I mean and it cuts a Vrabel afterwards who was just uh, forlorn and you know my god uh, credit to to Mahomes for one of the 
seminal playoff plays, I think, in the history of, history of the game. It was an exceptional run, but it was to some degree gifted to him as well by the, tack- the, well, the Titans tackling. Yeah, you know, I, I think of Mahomes and I think of something I've examined ever since the days I watched Walt Frazier play point guard for the New York Knicks, mm. that great players have this sense of time whereby things move around them in slow motion. Absolutely right. And this is what Mahomes has. He, he Rogers is... Mahomes, Rogers is like the prototype Mahomes, you know, that calm in the pocket, drop back and see what's going on. I think, uh, there was a good bit of commentary about Mahomes not watching the receiver as much as watching the defensive back. So he puts the ball where the defensive back can't get it because he knows where the receiver on that run. He shook the first tackle. He dead legged him. Basically it was a bad tackle. Yes, but, but he shook, he shook the tackle and, and, then he looked and realized he had space mm-hmm. and it, there was no excitement about it. There was no hurry up about it. He right. just, he just accelerated a little bit. Yeah. He can't. And then when he got near the goal, goal line, he picked up a block of, of sorts and then all of a sudden he became tough guy yeah. and he spun, you know, he spun through two tackles yeah. and, and went across the goal, the goal line. I just thought it was the most beautiful play mm. to watch. It I, really I, was. I, I would, you know, and it's a really interesting theory. The great sportsman, that make everything seemingly slow down around them. I and mean, what others, I remember watching, uh, in his latter stages of his career, watching Teddy Sherring when he was at West Ham. And he was, you know, maybe in the last couple of years of his career. <laughs> Had to be West Ham, didn't it? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm talking to the peanut gallery here. Hey, it seems to get older. This is the reference <laughs> what I can go with. I was thinking you were going to say someone more like Liam Brady. Or, <laughs> you know, or, no, he was a great <laughs> player too. Yeah. It, it was a, a brilliant play from Mahomes. And, it was, I think, would you say it was one of the greatest playoff plays of all time? You love watching it. Would you say it ranks up there? We got a Mike Top well, we, we, we went through that, didn't we, with the conference championship games, the, you know, the, the best games. Yes, and, the best games. The best plays. The best plays. Yeah. I mean, it is a fantastic play. I mean, there's been a whole lot of them. Um, but it was one of those, I think as a feat of individual brilliance, mm. I think it, it has to rate really high up, up there, you know, as, as a sort of unplanned but Improv, 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 improvised, mm. <laughs> improvisational, <laughs> improvised play. I think that, you know, it has to rank up there with, with the, with the best. Timing wise as well, cause you gotta factor that in, right? When you look, talk about great plays, is obviously the, the execution and the, and the skill on show with the play itself, but also the significance of it, right? Yeah. And at a, at a time when Tennessee's thinking, okay, we've, you know, we've got this offense slowed down a mm. bit. We, we can control them. And then Mahomes makes it. And, and I thought it was an excellent, um, piece of analysis by Tony Romo mm. because it again it showcased what Mahomes does he figured it he figured it out you know Tennessee came out playing a defense he had one series of downs he figured out where the openings were going to be mm. they're going to be on the outside and then I think I think he answered the Tracy Wilson tried to answer the question for him it was one of those 40 second questions that includes every possible answer to it <laughs> but but he managed he managed to say that he knew that the outside was there because they had the three linebackers were dropping but in other words he, he was aware of, of what the opportunity would be if he had to take it and he took it it was a great question by the way I did, I did enjoy that I thought I thought of you when I was watching that being asked the um, Titans started strongly and it was everything was going to plan. But conversely, the, the Chiefs started erratically for the second time in as many weeks. When Kelsey dropped the pass on yeah. the first series, I thought, "Oh, here we go again." <laughs> this is exactly what happened in, in the right. in the fir- in the, the week the week before. Is that a concern when you think about the? Uh, we just talked about the composure of um, Mahomes, and uh, so on the one hand, you wouldn't think it's going to necessarily phase it. But you know, the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl, right? Is it concerned that the Chiefs, with all this talent and uh, with all their uh, second half 
uh, acceleration and dominance that there's a danger they could start they the Super some, Bowl They shaking. sometimes seem like a very undisciplined team. Yeah. And that's true of Andy Reid teams in, in general. They took a lot of stupid penalties in this game. Right. Three offsides penalties in a row. But there was a, there were a lot of penalties um, in the first game. Same officiating crew as in the regular season game, and there are a lot of penalties yeah, there as Tony well. Tony Corrienti, yeah, he yeah, has to have a lot of penalties. He yeah, always he has to Really, yeah. honestly, yeah. They, they always have to. Um, Just don't get Gab Marcotti on the, on the subject <laughs> of him. He's not a fan. Uh, there there were a couple of, of plays where uh, receivers turned... Mahomes had the ball as the receiver was turning and they couldn't Watkins had one one bounced off of Hill's shoulder um as as they made the turn on on the cut um there was another that Watkins barely caught there was that wonderful one with Darwin Thompson when he came out of the backfield and he wasn't looking yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and again was Romo great. was all over you know yeah. when, when you get that release you either block or you release if yeah. you release you have to know that the the guy you're not blocking <laughs> is going to be on top back. of the quarterback yeah. in about a second and a half so you have to look for the ball and Darwin Thompson <laughs> it's when you were playing, I bet it did. I bet at least once, right? No, um, back of the helmet. Never, never. <laughs> no, big hit in the back as opposed to in the end zone. Yeah. Might as well and who was it? Who um, they had in uh, K pass? K pass was down in pass defense. on mm. one Spagnolo has his defensive end covering the pass, and it literally hit him in the back of the helmet. And, like, <laughs> and said, "Way to break that up!" You know? It's like. He had why, no idea. Why is this discipline an issue? You know, when you're, you've got such an experienced head coach. <sighs> Well, you know, it's always been that way with Andy Reid. Mm. Um, it's, it's, he's a very easygoing in some ways guy, I think, and the team plays because they enjoy playing. Uh, he's always been bad at clock management. Mm. Um, he's, you know, he hired assistants to help him with that over, over the years. Um, he got the challenge right though yesterday. He got the challenge right. Yeah, I like the delivery as well. That was a tough one too. Yeah. I, I, you yeah. Know, I, I, Cause the NFL might, Cut instinct is they're always going to say no. Yeah, you know it was a brave one. Um, Did you like the way he executed that as well? Just the cool hand Luke stuff. I mean, talk about Mahomes being composed. It's I cerebral. was thinking about that play the week before where Williams put the ball down at, mm. at the defender's feet and they they called him for an unsportsmanlike. Yes, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking Andy should go over and put it at the referee, the flag at the referee's <laughs> foot, and see if they dare call him for taunting the referees. But how would you throw if you were a coach? The other thing with the Chiefs is with Mahomes, a quarterback, (laughs) you're relaxed. The whole team's relaxed because they they think we're always in the game. So that 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 tends to how would I throw it? I'd throw it right at the referee's head. Would you? Yeah, I. You know, remember when Jeff Jeff Triplett Triplett killed Orlando Brown's career? You know, by throwing his flag and hitting him in the eye, I'd aim every time. Would you? Yeah. Actually, that's quite, <laughs> quite where he just takes his eye out. I'd maybe just kind of land on his head. Well, whatever. I wouldn't aim for the eye, like necessarily. No, just, just on the head. Just for the head. On top yeah. of the head. Uh, we've got to give credit to, well, I should want to talk a bit more on the Chiefs and give credit to the Titans to, about the facts <laughs> and about the development in this defense. That has been yeah. remarkable over yeah. the last. I mean, if, if they win the Super Bowl, Spag should go to the Hall of Fame based on two games—the <laughs> <laughs> '07 Super Bowl uh, yeah. and that Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, and two things have happened. What's changed? Two things have happened. Basically, one is he's come in, mm. and it took a while, I think, for them to adapt to the different kind of defense that he was um, that he was playing because it can be a complicated one. Mm. Um, you saw the way they're move, they're moving around, not like the Titans who move at the last instant and do a great job of that, but mm. they but they do move around. And secondly, was they got players back that they needed to get back. Um, Chris Jones being sure. being the game, but D Ford was yep. injured this time. D Ford and with D Ford and Suggs, now they actually have pass rush that mm-hmm. teams have to contend with. Mm-hmm. That makes a big difference. They lost Thornhill, who I think is a really good player. Um, but so far that hasn't come back to bite them. And all week long we heard yeah, the defense might be better, but they're very weak against the run. That's their Achilles heel. Weak against the run. They look pretty good against the run. They looked pretty good. I mean Mike Pinnell 
I thought he, you remember back in March when the Jets released him, I said, Patriots are going to sign him. Mm. And they did, mm-hmm. but they cut him because they only needed three big fat tackles and they had three guys they liked better. But Pinnell's a good player. I mean, mm. for what he does, you know, you want to run stuffer inside. Um, you don't play him every snap. He's not a three down guy, but he did really well in this one, especially when in short yardage situations and, and, and again, Romo is such a good commentator, you know, and he just, oh, he just saw right away. They're in short yard. They're in yeah. goal line. They were in goal line on third and one against the Titans and it worked. Why do you think Romo, just on Romo, why do you think we've seen that before? Somebody analyzing the game and calling ahead of time what's well, going to happen. It, he wasn't in this case, he wasn't even case, calling he wasn't, a, but he, ahead he, of time, but he, and which, which is good in a sense because he's not, He's not showboating in, sure. in a way, but he's doing the kind of but analysis he was, you need. Certainly in, in, in kind of contemporary broadcasting is popularized that. Was he the first one to do that, really? I think it's because he has faith in what he's going to say, mm-hmm. and they don't seem to hold him back. Mm-hmm. I think Nance does a really good job with him and, and trying to encourage that, kind of play along with it, mm-hmm. and, you know, whether they're talking in the down, in the downtime or not, but I think, you know, it, it seems like a back and, a back and forth. I mean, at times he was tripping in this game. He was being funny. I mean, you know, he was making all these off the wall kind of comments. Romo. I'm thinking, that's not Tony Romo, the, you know, most of the time, but he's having a great time out there. He seems to be absolutely loving it. How right many on. quarterbacks have become commentators and they don't really tell you what the quarterback sees before? Right. This is my you point. Know? Why, yeah. why not? Because they must, most of them must be able to, to, to see that. But this is what, as you say, no faith. In that no conviction in, in terms of, I think that they're wrong, more course, afraid of being wrong. Yeah, yeah. then you, you know you're hung out to dry. We've got to give a line on the Titans because it's been a hell of a run. Oh yeah, and run being the operative word. Yeah. <laughs> you see what I did there? So where do they go? Because they got some big decisions to make in terms of personnel. Hannah Hill for one. That's a that's a really it's a really good question because um, Tannehill's value will probably never be higher, mm. and he's a good fit for what they want to do. You saw some of the limitations when he's forced to be a pocket passer, yeah. which aren't aren't huge, you know. But yeah. you saw that at Miami, where he was a little bit streaky as a passer inside. He's much better coached right now, I yeah. think, and it's a better situation. Um, Derrick Henry's going to need money, um, you know. That's 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 coming up. They've built they've built a really strong team. I mean. In almost all areas, they're going to be better next year receiving as well. Mm-hmm. Um, with with Smith being being a year more experienced, you know, and they maybe they need AJ Brown. You mean AJ Brown? Did I say Smith? Yeah. But I'm glad you mentioned Smith because surprised that he wasn't one of those vogueish coordinators being considered for. Well, he might have been. We don't know the the full shortness of the head coaching gigs, but in terms, he's of, very very low profile. Yeah, he is. But but. Watching the game yesterday, if you think about some of the things that he did, I mean, the direct snap again, he went to that, bringing Mariota in for that play, uh, you know, mixing it up, you know, so if in the hands of another coordinator, a more fashionable coordinator, it'd be, look how, look at his box of tricks, how innovative he is, but he seems to go very much under yeah, the Yeah, but I think being in his first year sort of as coordinator and it's not ready for a head you know, not ready for prime time is the way people are looking at it. Right. I mean, you have two other coordinators, Eric Bienemy yep. for Kansas City. Now he, is in Reed's shadow, and that's yeah, part of the reason say, why he doesn't right. get a job, yeah, yeah. Um, because everyone has the perception it's Reed who's running He's the offense it. and yeah. calling the offense. And Robert, Robert Salah. Salah. Um, so what is the balance with should have been in, I mean, Reed. people should have been looking at him because I think not only is he a good coordinator, but he, but he's, gonna, he's got that leadership quality right. that people will want. What is the balance? I can't be sure. Mm. Reed always gives him a ton of credit, mm. um, but it it's, tends to be Reed who's got the, got the chart in front of him, you know, and... Um, 
but you know what you hear around the league, other people say the same thing that the enemy's a really you know really good coach, mm. um, really good guy. Um, he was when he was a player, you know, and, and, um, hopefully they get looks, they get looks in next time. You know, what we, as we've talked about with hires like Stefanski, mm. I think last week, it's not being a smart coordinator and a good coordinator doesn't necessarily make you a good head coach. A lot mm. depends on what situation you're moving into sure. as to what, what the head coach is required to do because it's, it's more than coordinating and, and loads of coaches are not necessarily great coordinators. They leave that to their coordinators, but they're good head coaches. Do you think Stefanski is the right fit for, I'm kidding with you. <laughs> we did that one <laughs> twice now. Uh, let's talk Jason Garrett. Ah, so speaking of coordinators, coordinators and yeah. better coordinators. Than yeah, a couple of them. There's is been he, a couple he, of them around the league. So um, Garrett this to New weekend. York is, is is he a good example of what you just said that he's better off as a coordinator? I mean, we don't really know yet. Do we? It's a good. That's a good question because he hasn't been a coordinator right. for a long time, and and um and when he was, it was perceived as being just sort of a system kind of coordinator. He was Dallas's coach for a specific reason. He didn't take the spotlight away from Jimmy Jones. Um, Jerry Jones, or Jimmy Jones, and, Jimmy Jones down, down, in, down in Jonesville, sure. Jonestown in uh, Venezuela, yeah. um, and and um, and he, this is what happens when we have four kept, hours sleep. He like. kept a team on an even keel, mm. which is often a very explosive team. Dallas has always, you know, had personalities and conflicts and things like that. He kept that on an even keel, yeah. And a lot of people were looking Good at point. him as being a, a future Giants head coach when, mm. when you know. This year, when they filed, when they filed yeah, Sherman, yeah. for that reason, the Giants love continuity. Mm. What he brings to the Giants, I'm not sure. You the know, Dallas playbook for one. well, for one. yeah, but you know, do they do they need someone who can groom Daniel Jones better? Is he going to be good for that? I mean, he was a quarterback, you remember, and, yeah, and one of, of limited talent, but more, much more success than his talent. You know, would would assume you to or would lead you to assume. Yeah. Um, I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, or is it someone to help Joe, Joe Judge? And I think given what we know or what we assume about his personality, I think he's just the kind of guy who will be good at helping Joe Judge at doing the head coach stuff he needs to do, telling him about the Pratt Falls, giving him advice, sure. that kind of thing. And Judge can leave the offense to him, yeah. you know, more or less. Without being a coordinator grabbing the spotlight because he's yeah. also I, I think I think Garrett so will be a kind of fit into guy. Similarly, I think Shermer has landed on his feet in Denver. Mm. Um, just on, before we get to Shermer, just on Garrett, when he finally was put out of his misery at, uh, at Dallas, what was interesting was how much affection there was for him from the Dallas media. Stories came out and there was one in particular that uh, 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 one of the Dallas uh, Cowboys beat writers, uh, or maybe it was a radio guy actually, but had uh, mentioned that Garrett had been to see his sick son. He had a son who was terminally ill, and Garrett, yeah. without any pomp or ceremony or look yeah. at me, had been to see him uh, a number of times. So I don't care whatever you think of him as a head coach. This is the kind of man he is. So, yeah. And that's uh, what back in the World League days, when I was doing World League in the starting in the mid nineties, you know, Garrett had played in the the first iteration of the World League, and his mm-hmm. brother Judd had played as well. Um, and that's what everybody said. Yeah. You know, you know what what not, what nice people they were, what good people they were. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that that's important. That's an important characteristic. Um, one way or the other, you have to motivate a team. Yeah. You know, and, and there's like the stick and the carrot. And, and for years, because football's a physical game, the stick was the preferred method by, you know, you're going back to Bear Bryant, Vince Lombardi. You treat them really tough because they have to be tough when the going gets tough, the mm-hmm. tough, you know, blah, blah, blah. And nowadays you can't, that's a harder approach to take. And, and coaches have to be a little bit more, you know, um, empathetic with, with players. Um, That's young, a, young people demand it. Nowadays. It's a really interesting point. I mean, it's not unique to the NFL, right? This is something that is, that is true across 
all kinds of workplaces. So it, it's logical that NFL coaching styles have to adapt. Yeah. And, how, you know, I, I used to look at it in worldly. We had two diametrically opposed kind of attitudes from um, the coach in Amsterdam, Al Luganville, and the coach in Barcelona, Jack Bicknell. And Jack would do well if he had a team that responded to that. In other words, a team, a mature team with leaders, a team that didn't have a couple of bad eggs on it. Al would do well with most of his teams. And if they didn't do well, he would blame it on a couple of bad eggs. Right. Although he had bad eggs and did well, you know, but, but it was that, that difference. And, um, yeah, quick story. He had a guy, a second year guy in World League a scrimmage in Atlanta in preseason and, uh, Barcelona had scrimmaged Amsterdam. And after the game, the Barcelona players shower and the Amsterdam players are running gassers on the field. He's got, you know, wind sprints. And I'm talking to Jack and Tom Robsock, who was their center, comes out. And he says, watch this. He says, Robo, come here. And he's got his gear. He says, um, go get the rest of your gear. I just traded you to Amsterdam. And Rob Sock looks across the field at the Amsterdam players running wind sprints, looks back at Big Noel and he's <laughs> like that. He says, I'm just kidding you. <laughs> I, I've never seen, I've never seen a coach do anything half as funny in my life. Oh, brilliant. Love that. Uh, you were going to talk Shermer as well before I really Yeah, yeah Shermer, I think he's landed on his feet because mm. it's a great situation for him. Um, with an up and coming young quarterback, I think Drew Locke showed enough in the last few games of the season to make you think he's going to be good. He'll be able to run the kinds of West Coasty kinds of things that Locke should be able to execute based on what he did at Missouri. I think Elway, you know, will appreciate that, um, will be supportive of that. Vic Fangio obviously is a defensive guy, so he'll be given, um, his head there. And, and I mm. think Shermer's one of those guys. Garrett may be another. Like I said, they're, they, they can be very good offensive coordinators. Um, and they're just not built to be the head coach, mm. you know, of an NFL team, um, for whatever reason. You think Locke's the guy then? That's interesting. Yeah, I, I assume Locke's the they guy. They think he's the yeah, guy. I what ass- do you think of him? I think he, he can be really good. I thought that they got it. It was a good draft pick by Elway, you know, better than signing Joe Flacco for a lot of money. Mm. I, I mean, I understand they need a, a stopgap sort of to, to, to give him a transition period, but, but he fits what they want to do much mm. better than, than, uh, Joe Flacco did. Another story I want to ask you about. <laughs> Whether people are reading too much into this or not, Philip Rivers, who stayed in San Diego after the Chargers moved to LA, has sold up, sold out, and is <laughs> yeah. There was a great children. There was a great tweet from Sam Farmer on the LA mm. Times when somebody hot take from one of the one of the hot take merchants. Yeah, yeah. Philip Rivers is move moving out of San Diego, and, and Sam Farmer says the Chargers did that last year. <laughs> <laughs> sure, but, and apparently buying uh, bought up or moving to Florida, so. Look, I, I think we're all a couple of years ago. Everyone said he wanted to go to Tennessee when Tennessee sort of had a quarterback mm. opening, or might, or might have had, a, or to Carolina because yeah, you know, he, he played at NC State. Yeah, of course. And and uh, yeah, he, he would probably like to be there. I'm not sure what what opening would fit him at this point. Yeah. I think one of the big takeaways of this weekend is that the new generation of quarterbacks has taken over from the old. Aaron Rodgers is now the, the poster boy for old quarterbacks mm. who you know um, who still play, but they. You know, they get, they've been passed by the, by the young bloods. So Tom Brady obviously is in that group. Eli's now is in yeah. that group. Rivers is probably in that group yeah. as well. Breeze and, you know, is, well, we're recently biased below. Everyone was hyping Breeze, up. Yep. Breeze wasn't, wasn't affected by that. But yeah. then the last game, and, he, he is all of a sudden. And, and I thought it was really weird that people are saying Brady will go to San Diego if Rivers is gone. I mean, what does San Diego gain by that? You know, it, it, yeah. if, if anything, Rivers, 
is equally as immobile as Brady, right. but, but has more arm left, right. you know, right. and, and, and stands up more. Um, I, if I were San Diego, I'd probably go with Tyrod Taylor for, for the year and draft a quarterback with the five or six pick. Cause there's going to be, there will be a, a quarterback there at five or six if, if you believe in Justin Herbert or Tua. Uh, um, yeah. You know, and, um, you also had, um, Brady from, um, not Greg Brady. <laughs> from LSU going to Carolina, which I thought was, was one of the, was one of the great pickups. Um, he's been in the NFL as an assistant, a quarterbacks coach. Uh, he obviously did a great job with Joe Burrow. And I think, um, Matt Rule, it's a, it's a really smart hire, you know, mm-hmm. a young, skilled offensive coordinator who can get away from Matt Rule stuff if he has to, mm-hmm. you know, will be free to do that. And you saw what he did, what the difference he made at LSU, uh, you know, was immense. Yep. And, and, um, I think that was a good, and then the other one, um, was Jeff Olson, who's the, was the nominal GM. At um, Houston, Houston, after they had the clear out, Chris Olson. Chris Olson. Before we start yeah. recording, Chris Olson was the, and the other one was Chris Olson, who was the nominal GM at at Houston. He was basically their salary cap guy, you know, keep keep things balanced, and um, he survived the original clear out. But they mm. announced they leaked. They didn't even announce it. They leaked it during the games on Sunday that he was gone. Just burying and, it. You know, I think that was Jeff Easterby who. Who came from the Patriots, where he was like the team, not chaplain, but he was like the spiritual advisor for, and he's in charge of morale, among other things, at Houston. So Bill O'Brien has now taken over the team completely as, as he's going to be de facto general manager. But Easterby is a Christian pastor. I mean, what, what do you do when you leak a guy's firing? Doesn't, doesn't he deserve at least, you know, face to face? I'm sorry, we're going to let you go, you know, and announce it properly. No, be charitable, yeah. yeah. The, um, interesting, the, He's in charge of the spiritual well-being of the team. Well, it, it's in Houston. They say he's in charge of the team culture. Team but, culture. But in New England, he had a strange title. It wasn't spiritual advisor, but it was it was something along the. I've the never heard that. Kind Does every team, team have one. No, no. This no. was something something built for him, yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, it's and it's not that he's not a football guy yeah. completely, but but um, you know, and and I think coming off it was the timing is awful because coming off of that playoff game, you question whether you want to put Bill O'Brien. Even more in charge of everything. Sure. You know, sure. sure they built themselves a decent team that got them into the playoffs, but he's two and four in the playoffs. Yeah. He had that moment where it should have gone for it on fourth down yeah. and afterwards he said, I didn't have a play ready. You're the head coach. Yeah. You, you yeah, have yeah. to have a play ready. The play, the play should be ready on Tuesday. The play's not ready on game day. The yeah. play's ready on Tuesday and yeah. you're practicing for that situation. Um, so yeah, so I, I just thought that was, I feel a bit sorry for him. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully he comes up somewhere else with a job, but, um, it's, uh, it's, it's a, the merry-go-round picks up speed now, you know? Yes. Um, and, and I think some teams will poss- possibly regret not waiting a little bit longer to make their moves. Everybody is always in a rush. They don't, they want to have the extra time to build a staff, to get things ready, to get things going, to get things ready. But, you know, I, I just have this feeling that there's a couple of guys involved in this, game the Super Bowl who might be worthy of a head, a head yeah, coaching job yeah. if, you know, if that's what it's Salah's a great shout on that front speaking of which we're heading to Miami on Mike's next time you and I are working together it's going to be on South Beach yeah and you know I, I may spare you the um, the suntanned um, you know oh, I'm expect- DK, DK Metcalf imitation <laughs> you know? I'm expecting at least one of your Hawaiian shirts I said maybe I'll do that oh, that, please that, bring that, will, that will be um, the listeners that will be a, a useful one and, and it'll be nice to be down there um, on a Friday you know on a weekday when things are still happening and in the sun you know it'd be fantastic and, and you must have some good hot tips for Miami as well actually I don't to be I've only what? 
what? been there once in my life, which was back in March. It's funny because the way things worked out, I, I went to um, Minnesota the summer before the Super Bowl, and now I went to Miami in the spring before the Super Bowl. From my niece, it was my niece was getting married, but I was it was mostly we were doing family stuff, and and I didn't. If you can get out of Miami, I've got. And I went down the I went down <laughs> the Keys, yeah. you know, and so I can tell you where you can find alligators to you know to walk around with, and that's amazing. Um, a great kind of Caribbean restaurant, and and I did. There is in Homestead, Florida. There's a place called the Seminole Theater. Mm. And they had, I'm trying to remember who it was they had there just after I left. Eric Anderson was there just after I left. And they've got a sleep at the wheel the day I'm leaving. So I can't go see a sleep at the wheel. Sleep at the wheel are, they were a Texas swing band oh, okay. big in the sixties, uh, rock and roll, but, but based on Texas swing a guy called Ray Kitchen. I saw them when I was in college and they're still touring. <laughs> they're still going. It's great. And Ray Kitchen's still the front man. So hey, you know, they might, they might be, uh, one of JLo and Shakira's guests on the halftime show. <laughs> I wish they would do the half. I mean, I'd so, I'd so like they, I, I, you know, if, I mean, the NFL, <laughs> unlikely to put me in charge of anything, but, um, <laughs> Jay-Z program if, if, if they, yeah, me and Jay-Z it. together could, could, could have put together a, a yeah. decent show, you know? And did you see, uh, if you weren't watching the, I was watching on Game Pass, so mm. I was watching the American commercials, but with Anquan Bolden, they did a great commercial, um, along the lines of, of Black Lives Matter. Really? And community work, which, you know, which is nice because, Yes, you know, I kept watching and saying, okay, mention Colin Kaepernick, you know, but the league has taken this initiative, you know, mm. to try to, to try to defuse the situation a bit. Mm. So at least that's a semi-positive step. I'd like it more if Colin Kaepernick was, in was playing, it was playing again. Is that the influence in all seriousness of, of, of Jay-Z, do you think? Or do you think that was a Well, Jay-Z was part of that. The NFL decided they did have to address this. Yeah. You know, they're not going to, they're not going to give Colin Kaepernick the win mm. by putting, you know, by, by addressing it via him. Which I wish they would simply do and let him play, (laughs) but they are taking steps to address it, and they deserve some credit for that. Indeed, Uh, Mike. Always a pleasure. Thanks for breaking down the games for us and all the other big news as well. Yeah, I hope you're able to do your week in Miami before I get there. You know, without struggle without feeling too much loss. Going to struggle with you, but we'll just do what we said at the top of the show. That I'll phone you every day or or Skype, and we can chat. And you can have if I can't get on Skype and it's a phone call, you can have the the frame with my photo, and I'll get one of you, and it'll be like we're together. It'll be great. It'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) The Burton Ernie of NFL (laughs) Sundays, Stadler and Waldorf. You are definitely Burt, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely. I'm definitely Waldo. <laughs> which one's which? How to start? That's a good question. I don't know why I claimed. <laughs> I just like the name it. better. I'm gonna have to. I'll look that up on the flight. I'll have an answer for you <laughs> by the time. Why does it matter? They're each as bad. each as bad as the other. Each other. <laughs> My favorite was Wadler. Wadler and Staldor. This is the worst show I've ever seen. He says you weren't here last week <laughs> <laughs> when they had the chicken. <laughs> Oh, uh, who's the chicken out of uh, let's let's stop that stop rolling right now. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.